Good morning. If you're surprised to see me up here, think how I feel. Um, if you were to look at our order of service back there, in the corner, it would say that Dan Brown is speaking. The only thing I can say is the initial is correct. So it's D. Brown filling in for Dan Brown, who tested positive for COVID yesterday. And his father tested positive for COVID the weekend before. So I'm on the mend and thankful to the Lord. And Ann, uh, many of you have been praying for her. She still is symptom-free, and we're thankful for that at this time. So yesterday at 2 o'clock, I opened this passage and got on my computer to prepare a message. It was either that or called Chris down here to uh, fill in. And I almost called him. <laughs> but we're looking at Philippians chapter 2. Fortunately, there's just seven verses, 12 down to 18. And a good way to begin this this morning is with this question. What is the relationship of good works, righteous living, have to do with our salvation? What's, what's the Bible say about that? We know that we're not saved by our works, correct? The scripture makes it very plain. No man can be saved by his own good works. None are righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all our righteous acts are as filthy what? Rags. We have nothing of our own to offer to God for our salvation. Our works are non-meritorious. Our works are not enough. We can't do anything to save ourselves. Yet we also know that it is only through faith that we are saved. Faith in the righteous one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lived righteously, never sinned, who died on the cross and was raised from the dead for our salvation. That's how we are saved, through faith in this one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet we also know this, according to the verse that we're going to be reading here in just a moment, we know fully that faith without works is what? It's dead. It's worthless. Faith without works is dead. So what is the connection between good works and our salvation? What's the connection between these two? I want you to just follow along as I read now from these seven verses, beginning chapter 2, Philippians, and verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, So then, my beloved, these people were dear to Paul. They were people that had been won largely by his ministry and brought to Christ. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, 
This is not something new that he's going to be talking to them about. You've always obeyed since the beginning, not just as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul's writing from jail in Rome. Now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You've been obeying. Continue to do that. Work it out, your own salvation, with fear and trembling. For, verse 13, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work or do of his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Now notice, first of all, first major point I think that we need to make about what Paul is saying here is he is not saying, when he says, work out your salvation, he is not saying at all that we are to work for our salvation, to earn our salvation. He's not saying that. We could go to many passages of Scripture that would back that up. One of those would be in Ephesians that we were looking at a couple of months, months ago. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul in Romans 3 talks repeatedly about the importance of faith and the fact that works cannot save us. I'm going to just turn to Romans 3 for, for a moment and read to you a couple verses from there. Justification by faith is the title in my Bible, and here's what Paul says. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law of the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So do you see what Paul is saying? Over and over again, he says, we cannot possibly be saved by our efforts, by our 
individual attempts to earn salvation. They are worthless. They, they will produce nothing. So Paul is not telling us when he says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, he's not telling us to work for our salvation. He's not telling us to do what we can to earn it. Now, when Paul begins this chapter, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, before we get to verse 12, he did two things. He first of all exhorted them to love one another and to live righteously with one another. Let's go back and look at, just to refresh, get the context here. If therefore, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 2, there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish, empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. He's absent from this church. He's in jail in Rome, and he's concerned about how they're living with one another, especially with him not being there with them. He says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in you. What attitude? The same attitude that was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, now of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, beloved, as you have always obeyed, continue to do that. Work out your own salvation in fear and in trembling. Now, this is an important section of Scripture. What does then work out your salvation mean? If it doesn't mean that we do something to earn our salvation, what is Paul getting at here? Work it out. He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about how we live in essence to glorify God, to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. All of this he now is going to just be spelling out for us so that we might see it is his will. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's talking about the obedience of sanctification. He's talking about the fact that we live not in our own strength, but we live because he's the one who gives us the desires. 
And he's the one who gives us the power now to begin to implement the truth of what it means to be a Christian. We work it out. We have a responsibility. We who have been brought to him are now to follow him, to live by his example, to live because we look to him for the right desires, to live because we look to him for the power. Lord, strengthen us in the inner man by your spirit who indwells us. So what Paul is getting at here is, listen, continue to obey, continue to live out the Christian life, work out your salvation in fear and in trembling. Why? Because you can't do this. It is he who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But know that you must do this. Know that this is part of what he requires of you. This is why James said, faith without works is dead. The works don't save us. They are not meritorious. They're not things that we can do in our own strength. But we can do good works. We can live godly. We can be righteous people because we look to him and know that Apart from him, we can do nothing, absolutely nothing. So Paul's not talking here about how to earn salvation. He's saying, continue to live it out. Continue to live it out in obedience because you have all you need in him. You have the desire. You have the direction. You have his power. You can overcome sin, and you must do that. Now, it's interesting, too, that in Scripture, this is not optional. This kind of living is not optional. He's not saying, you know, it would be good that you live this way since you've been saved by Jesus Christ, since you've been given new life in Him, since you've been forgiven the penalty of sin and you now have been given power over the power of sin, it's not, it's not optional. You must live in order to please Him. You must, you must enter into this with fear and trembling about failing a holy God who's called you to righteous living. I want to look at some passages with you, and I want you to turn there with me in the New Testament that will give us further word about why this is not optional, why it is the necessary evidence of saving faith to work it out, to live it. Let's start, first of all, with John 15. If you would turn there with me, a few verses there in John chapter 15 about fruit bearing. In John chapter 15, verses 5 to 8, listen to what John the Apostle is writing here. And he's, actually it's Jesus that is speaking that John is quoting. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. 
for apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you are a part of me, well, you can do everything. You can do everything that I've called you to do. You can bear much fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and therefore prove to be my disciples. Living a godly life is mandatory, it is necessary, and it provides proof that I have genuinely been saved. Many of you have had an experience like I did growing up, where I professed Christ as a teenager. And I went forward in an evening service, maybe even signed a card, cried crocodile tears, but I was not saved. Do you know why I was not saved? Because I'd had no change of heart. People had helped me go to the front that night. Well-meaning people had helped me go to the front of the church, make this prayer for salvation, but nothing had changed in my heart and life. It was not of God. And people in that church thought I was saved. I was not saved until 10 years later. And I know because my life was unchanged. I was not working out salvation in fear and trembling. The Spirit of God was not in me causing me to desire to do what was pleasing to God and having the power to do it. This is one of the sad things when people are led to believe that if they walk an aisle, sign a card, pray a prayer, they're okay. Yes, they're okay if, they're be if they've been saved. They're okay if the Spirit of God has done a work in their heart and changed them from the inside out because now they can obey the command of Paul to work out my salvation in fear and trembling before a holy God because he works in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I want you to turn to another verse with me, 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. This has been one of my favorite passages over the years. It's talking about running the race. Listen to what Paul says and make sure you get this right. Verse 24. Paul says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win, not come in last, not come in second or third. You're in a race. Run it in the power of God to win it. Verse 25, and ev everyone who competes in the games, exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way 
as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. You see what Paul is saying? What do you think the word disqualified means? What do you think Paul is getting at there? He says, I buffet my body, I make it my slave. He's working out his salvation, in other words. Working it out in the power of God, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Well, some, some say, well, the word disqualified means there, Paul was afraid of losing his apostleship. He was afraid that he would be set aside and wouldn't be used of God if he didn't run a good race. Is that what he meant? Well, here's what's interesting. This word, if you look it up in the Greek, is the same word that we translate every other time it's used in the New Testament, about seven times, reprobate. Reprobate. And all of the other times in the other context where this word reprobate is used, reprobate, all of these other times, it is obvious in the context that we're talking about someone who's outside of Christ. Someone who's outside of Christ. Reprobate. That's the word here. Why did they not change it? Why did they not translate it the way it normally is translated? Because people have a hard time with the Apostle Paul saying, if I don't get my act together, if I don't run a good race, even after I have preached to others, I will be declared a reprobate if he's not bearing fruit, if he's not working out his salvation in fear and trembling, if he's not living a life that is pleasing to Christ. See how important this is. It's also very strong in Matthew chapter 7. I want you to turn one more where we get what Matthew is writing in the Sermon on the Mount where our Lord is speaking. And I want you to listen with me as I read from verse 13. Get it again. We're not saved by our works, but we're saved unto good works, which he has before ordained that we should walk in them, that we must walk in them. We can't just do what we want to do as a Christian. We can't just be thankful for his grace and live any way we want to. Being a Christian means that we are a new creature in Christ. Listen to verse 13 and following, Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits, Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? 
Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See what the Apostle Paul is getting at here? You've been continuing to obey since the very beginning. Work out your own salvation with an attitude of fear and reverence and respect before a holy God. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling for because it is God who works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. My question to us this morning is, do we see the seriousness of what Paul is saying? We are never saved by our works, but our works are evidence that we have been saved. The life that we live The bearing fruit for Christ is evident. Look what Paul goes on to say now after verse 13. Look at verse 14. Do all things, he's talking about now living out of this life, working out your salvation, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. In other words, Because of Paul's labor, he saw the production of the genuine article. True believers in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that the first thing he's talking about, he says, do all things, do everything that you're supposed to, to be pleasing to him. In other words, working this out, do do it all and make sure your attitude is right. Do you ever do the right things and complain about it? I found myself recently with COVID, whining, complaining, grumbling, and having to go before God because even though I was trying to do what was right, my attitude stunk. And I had to say, God, 
change my attitude, change my heart. You see, when our attitude doesn't line up with what we're trying to do to please him and we're disputing him, we're saying, Lord, I don't know why you're doing that to me. I don't know why you're allowing this. Well, he allows it for lots of reasons, mainly to make us more like his son. But if our attitude doesn't match up with what we're trying to do, we've blown it. We've got to confess our attitude and say, Lord, I want to have it right. I want to have a heart that is pleased with what you're doing and knows that it's for my good. I don't want to be complaining. I don't want to be upset. That does not bring joy to you. That does not please you. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? So that you might prove yourselves to be blameless, to be without something in your life where someone can look at you and criticize you for something that's sinful. You want to be without blame. You want to have sins confessed, even your attitude. You can't please God without a good attitude and say, Lord, whatever it is that you want me to walk through, whatever it is that you want me to do, whatever it is that you bring into my life, even if it hurts, even if it causes pain, that's okay. I don't want to dispute you. I don't want to be grumbling over what you're doing in my life. I want my heart to be right before you. And I recognize that if I'm grumbling, if my attitude isn't right, then I'm rejecting what you're doing for me and to me. I'm rejecting that. Don't live this way, Paul says. Do all things without grumbling and disputing that you might prove yourselves to be without blame, to have things confessed, to not be harboring something, not be hanging on to something that is not pleasing to God. And then he says, as innocent children, a life that is pure, pure, not polluted by sin, the word here is used of metal, of iron, when it's in the furnace and it's being dealt with by the fire. Iron that's pure iron will not have any other elements in it. And when you're innocent, you don't have any other elements. You're walking with him. You're working out your salvation in fear and trembling. And then he says, being above reproach. That's used in the Old Testament. This word, above reproach, is used in the Old Testament of sacrifices that were spotless. Animal sacrifices that were unblemished. Above reproach. That's the way we want to live. Blameless, innocent, above reproach, so that we can be light and salt in the midst of this crooked and perverse 
generation that we live in. And I'm telling you what, we have some good examples of what that's like today. A crooked and perverse generation. This is from the word that we get scoliosis, a crooked spine. This is the way the world is. It's crooked. It's bent totally out of position when it comes to pleasing God. It goes its own way. And we can either go with it or we can be light in the midst of it and shine in the darkness, in the crookedness, in the perversion as we work out our salvation in fear and trembling as light in a dark place, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, and by the way, that's not the same as the day of God. The day of Christ is when he comes for his people and when he comes to redeem us, when he comes to give us a new body, when he comes to reward us for following faithfully after him. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. Paul says, I want, I want that day to come. I want to see that day. I want to see you, the ones that the Lord has led me to bring to himself. I want to see you arrive and be rewarded by Jesus Christ holding fast the faithful word, which in essence is the giving out, the giving out of the gospel to be received so that people can have new life and they can be like Christ and they can bear fruit and they can live in such a way that he is pleased and glorified. Holding out something for others to take the word of life, the gospel, which when it is received by the Spirit produces new life in us. So we're to be light, and we can't be light unless we are walking by faith and in the power of the Spirit, working out our salvation in fear and trembling, that's how others will see Christ. They will see that we're not crooked and perverted like the world. They will see that our speech is honoring to God, that our attitude is honoring to God, that our actions are honoring to God. They will ask us a reason of the hope that is within us. We won't have any trouble finding people to witness to if we live godly. One time in the Air Force, a, another officer came up to me and he said, I've noticed something different about you. The way you respond, the way you act, the way you live. And I was a fairly new believer then, and guess what I said? Well, it was probably because I grew up in a good home. Guess who had to get on his knees and repent of that real quickly? 
It wasn't because I grew up in a good home. It was because I had been given a new heart, a new life, which I was eventually able to share with him. I think Dave brought me some, hopefully, water. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. You see how important it is, even in the way that we live, in terms of the sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being light, shining in the darkness, letting people see Christ in us, we won't have any trouble at all sharing the gospel when we live that way with people. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because if you're not working it out because of his creating the desire in you and because of his giving you the power in you to do it, you won't have anything to share. It's to his glory. It's to his honor. And you will have no proof that you actually know the living God if you're not living the way Paul says. Look how he concludes now in verses 17 to 18. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice. He doesn't grumble. He doesn't complain. He doesn't dispute God that he's in jail. He rejoices and he shares. He says, I share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Do you remember what a drink offering was in the Old Testament? A drink offering was wine taken by the priest and poured upon the sacrifice, the animal sacrifice that was being burned. And that wine poured on the animal sacrifice would dissipate and its smoke would go up indicating that this sacrifice is being offered to you, God. Paul says, my life, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He looked at his whole life that way. And, and I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of you. What you're doing, you're the sacrifice. I'm the drink offering, showing that this is being offered up to God. And in that I rejoice. That's what made Paul more than any other thing in this life. Rejoice. To simply be a drink offering offered on top of the sacrifice of others. That brought joy. And he says, you rejoice too in the same way and share your joy with me. You live the same way. You live to be a drink offering. You don't, you don't mind what God puts you through. You don't mind what 
comes your way. If it's in jail, you thank God for that, and you serve him in jail. If it's in suffering, you thank God for that, and you serve him in suffering. But one thing you do, you recognize, I am working out my salvation because he works in me both to will and to do. For what? His good pleasure. That's why we exist. That's why we've been saved. And we need to get back to those basics. Yes, we are saved entirely by the grace of God through faith in His Son. But when we are saved, we are made new creatures with new desires and new power so that we might prove ourselves to be blameless, innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we appear as light. Let me close with this. Some of you may be here this morning and you may think that because you intellectually got the facts right about Christ, you're a believer. You signed the card. You walked the aisle. You prayed the prayer. My question to you this morning is, do you have spiritual power? Do you have the Spirit of God in you? Have you been given a new heart with new desires and supernatural power to live for Him? If you were like me at the age of probably 13 or 14, having made a profession, but having no life, you can come this morning and you can cry out to him for that which only he can do, and he will give it to you. Salvation will be yours this morning by recognizing I'm lost, I'm undone, I have no hope, but in him, and no life apart from that which he gives. Come to him this morning. Cry out for his mercy. Put your faith in him and him alone. And work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And come talk to the elders up front about what God is doing in your heart today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for these verses, these powerful verses in Philippians that teach us how to prove that we are indeed believers, that we are indeed your children. May we be innocent as children. May we be blameless 
May we confess sins readily and by your power live a life that is pleasing and honoring to you. Work in the midst of this church to achieve that, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.